Welcome to Counter Melody, the podcast on great singers and great singing. I am your host, Daniel Gundlach, and I am thrilled to share with you the opera and classical singers about whom I am most passionate. I hope that when you hear these voices, you might echo me in saying, God, I love her, or God, I love him. Now, Without any further ado, I bring you this week's episode. Hi everyone, I am very, very, very excited about today's episode. I am presenting to you today a 1972 recital issued on Swedish EMI with the soprano Elisabeth Söderström. I've titled this episode Elisabeth Söderström Sings Everything. That's certainly what she does on this recital. It's also what she did in general. Think about her repertoire. It was the most wide-ranging. She sang Blondal's Aniara, the space opera, early on in her career. She did the premiere of Hans-Werner Hentz's Elegy for Young Lovers. She sang music by contemporary Swedish composers like Ingvar Litholm. One of her early recordings was of vocal music by Luigi Dalla Piccola. I believe I first heard that when I checked it out from the music library at the University of Illinois in Urbana, where I was going to school. I already knew her by that point, but I was very taken with her performances of those pieces. What is Söderström primarily known for today, more than 10 years after her death? Primarily, I would say, as a Mozart Strauss singer, but also, and this was unusual at the time, I think, as a non-native Czech-speaking singer of the music of Janáček. She recorded Katkabanova, Makropoulos, and Yenufa. Those were in a series of recordings for Decca, conducted by Charles McCarras. She did not sing in Cunning Little Vixen. For that, we had Lucia Pop, who was, of course, marvelous in part. She covered a wide range of both Mozart and Strauss heroines, and I should say also heroes, because in a piece like Rosen Cavalier, she was one of the few singers to sing all three roles of Octavian, Sophie, and the Marshallin. Lotte Lehmann did the same. I think there are one or two other singers. Now I can't think off the top of my head who they might be. Pop, of course, sang both Sophie and the Marshallin, but I don't believe she ever took on Octavian. Söderström is on a wonderful recording from the mid-60s of excerpts from Rosenkavalier, conducted by Silvio Varviso with Régine Crespin, whose Marshallin we were discussing a few episodes back, and Hilde Guden, who's one of my favorite singers, and certainly one of the prime Zofis of all time. At the beginning of her career, Söderström sang roles like Adina in Elisir d'Amore, but at the same time, she was singing roles like Marie in Wozzeck, Marguerite in Faust, with Bierling, in fact, one of his final Met performances. So it was the Swedish contingent for that particular performance of Kuno's Faust. 
At the beginning of my episode four, which turned out to be primarily a tribute to Jessie Norman and her forebears, I started with an excerpt from this very record, and I did a little personal description of Söderström and just what she meant to me as a very young person just first getting acquainted with opera. I'm just going to take that little snippet and place it right here, and then we'll go right into the first number, which is a very haunting movie moody, deeply felt performance of an anonymous Italian Baroque piece, which reminds us, of course, that Elisabeth Söderström sang the role of Nerone on the recording that Nicolas Harnoncourt did of L'Incoronazione di Popea with Helen Donath as Popea. That was from probably the very late 60s or early 70s. But here, let me do the introduction before I get distracted here. This is the introduction from several months ago, followed by the first track from this Elizabeth Söderström recital. I first encountered her as an enthusiastic and excited 10-year-old checking out his first record all by his own from the Janesville Public Library. And this was my very first choice. Pierre Boulez's recording of Peleas et Mélisande with George Shirley as Peleas and Elisabeth Söderström as Mélisande. I had been looking at this one for months, and I was just so eager to hear it. As you know, Mélisande's first lines in the opera are Ne me touchez pas, ne me touchez pas. Don't touch me, don't touch me. However, Elizabeth Söderström was very much not that kind of singer. She was a singer who sang with such passion and who drew you in and pulled you in and demanded that you pay attention to the music. We are going to hear Söderström in a rare recording from Swedish EMI from 1972. It is a fascinating recording that presents her at her absolute best. She is accompanied by the Symphonie Orchestern Norrköping, conducted by Ulf Björlen, in a piece called the Neapolitan Morning Song, arranged by the Swedish musicologist, cellist, and conductor Claude Genete. Wait until you hear her singing here. It's absolutely extraordinary.
I had mentioned in my previous stream of consciousness rattling that uh, Söderström had sung a great deal of Mozart. She, in fact, recorded the Countess in Marriage of Figaro, Nozzi di Figaro, with Otto Klemperer. She also sang it at the Met. Speaking of the Met, this is an interesting thing about Söderström. At the beginning of her career, she spent several years very much based in New York. That ended when she decided that I think she wanted to go back to Sweden and to raise her family there. New York audiences, not that I was around at that point, but New York audiences were treated to her performances of a wide range of roles at that point. Many years later, she returned to the Met and sang roles like Countess and, well, Countess in Nozzi di Figaro, and then she re-emerged from retirement at the request of somebody at the Met to sing the role of the old Countess in Pique Dame, a role for which she was vocally really never particularly well equipped, but we're going to talk about her acting at some point too, maybe a little bit later on in the program. For now, let's give a listen to this tastefully ornamented, beautifully paced performance of Cherubino non so più. She was much more famous, as I said, as the Countess, and she also sang Susanna with Carlo Maria Giulini, but here is non so più. For those of us who are not 
perhaps terribly well-versed in Swedish music. The name Ture Rangström might sound a little obscure, but he's actually quite well known for his songs in particular, although he also wrote a great deal of orchestral music, incidental music, and three operas. But I would say that probably today he's most remembered for his songs. Rangström's dates are 1884 to 1947. He died at the age of 62 of throat cancer. This piece that we are about to hear, well, it's actually three tiny little songs. It's called Hennis Ort, or Her Words. Clearly, it's from the vantage point of a woman, a woman who is in love and who experiences over the course of three very short songs, the extreme highs and lows of love. The first song is comparing love to a rose grove. The second song is about losing oneself, I think, in the passion of love. And the third song is, how would I put this, about the extreme bliss and excruciating pain of love. I have a rather poor translation here, but the final lines are, since I became yours, I am so rich and enormous, but I'm also so poor that I don't even own a drop of my own blood. It's pretty intense. This cycle is from 1936, and it gives us a wonderful chance to hear just a tiny bit of Söderström singing songs in her native language. We can also pay tribute, I think, here to her marvelous way with song in general. She recorded the complete Rachmaninoff songs. She recorded the women's songs in a complete set of Sibelius, and she recorded two LPs of Tchaikovsky songs, all with Vladimir Ashkenazi. They're really high points of the history of recorded sound, in my opinion. I remember hearing her once in Milwaukee sing a recital, where the first half was Sibelius and I think Grieg, so it was Nordic song in the first half and the second half was Russian song, Rachmaninoff and Tchaikovsky. I have since found a live recording that must have been made, I don't know if it was made for the radio or whatever, but it has a good portion of that recital. And what was really wonderful about her concertizing and her singing recitals is that she would always speak to the audience. And she had such incredible warmth. It communicated itself so clearly across the footlights. In fact, I've been listening to some interviews with her. Her English was superb. I was listening, in fact, just yesterday to her Desert Island Discs interview on the BBC from 1979. She tells such delightful stories and she had such a wonderful sense of humor. I only wish that I had actually known her. She certainly is someone who made an enormous impression on me. Here are the Tura Rangstrom songs, which you've been waiting for for some time now. Oh, 
Now we come to one of the two big set pieces on this recital, which ends side one. That is the letter scene of Tatiana from Eugene Onegin. Two weeks ago, I did a rather inept reading of Russian when I was trying to give the title of the Spring Waters song that Ellie Ameling sang. That was one of the very few pieces that Ameling sang in Russian. Söderström, however, grew up speaking Russian. She's really fluent in the language. You also hear what an amazing actor she was, that she could act through her voice. Actually, if you want to see an example of her great acting, I highly recommend the recording that she did from Gleinborn of Fidelio. Again, we hear this voice and it has a slightly frail quality to it, and we think, how could she possibly have sung roles like Fidelio or Emilia Marti in Macropolis Affair? I remember one thing that she said in her recital that I referred to earlier, the one that she gave in Milwaukee. She said, there are usually two days a year when I feel like I'm absolutely at my peak and I can do full justice and I can do whatever I want with the music and with the acting, the interpretation, and those inevitably are days when I am not scheduled to give a performance. It just makes one treasure her all the more, actually. Of course, Vishnevskaya is certainly supreme in the role of Tatiana, but I must say, she always sounded a tiny bit matronly to me, I'll just come out and say it. Much as I love her, and much as I adore her Tatiana, Söderström brings an enormously girlish, innocent, enthusiastic, buoyant quality to this part, which, of course, makes her subsequent transformation into a woman of substance who still is hiding that heart of a young girl all the more poignant and heartbreaking. I don't know if there's a complete recording of her doing this anywhere, a live recording. If there is, I'll find it and I'll bring it to you. Meanwhile, we have the enormous joy of being able to listen to this recording from, as I say, her absolute prime, 1972.
The next piece is from Claude Debussy's early cantata hybrid, L'Enfant Prodigue. I think he wrote it for the Prix de Rome. Let me just check. Yes, I was absolutely correct about that. L'Enfant Prodigue was written by Debussy for the Prix de Rome competition. He won the competition in 1884 based on this piece, which has gone on to have a life of its own. This aria in particular of Lia, the mother of Azael, who is the prodigal son. Of course, Lia does not appear in the Bible, and the prodigal son in Jesus' parable does not actually have a name, but this is late 19th century France, when there was this fascination with things biblical, you know, and and I think that the L'Enfant Prodigue fits in very well with that. Now this aria has been done by many, many, many sopranos. Who all has done this? Well, Janet Baker, a sometime soprano, did this many times in recital. Jesse Norman recorded the complete cantata. Leontine included it on her Prima Donna Volume 2 album. It's a very popular piece, and you'll hear why. I mean, it could have been written by Massenet. It's extremely tuneful, it's heartfelt, and Söderström gives it a marvelous performance. Oh, <laughs> 
Next, we're surprised, at least I was somewhat surprised by this next number, both that Söderström would take it on and that she would be so damn good in it. It's Alceste's Divinité du Styx, which is definitely dramatic soprano territory. This was another part that Janet Baker sang, and it's a part that Jesse Norman sang as well, including in a Robert Wilson production, in fact, going back to people that we discussed earlier in this podcast. I love the ease of Söderstrom's top. I love her vulnerability. I love her self-doubt. I love her steely resolve. I love the many different aspects that she explores in this performance.
And now for the final big number, we have the final scene from Capriccio of Richard Strauss, his final opera, which considers the question, which is of more importance, the words or the music? We never really get a definitive answer on this. It's a thinking person's opera, and yet once we reach this final scene, all of the passion comes out in the Countess Madeleine's musings, her struggle to determine which suitor she will accept for herself, the musician or the poet. Just a few words about Söderström singing Richard Strauss. She has several performances of the Fierletzte Lieder, including a studio recording that came about 10 years after this that's a little late, but nevertheless shows incredible insight, even if the vocal ease is not 100% there at that point. But she was a magnificent Strauss singer. She had an enormous success with the role of Christine in Intermezzo, which is probably Strauss's most difficult heroine to pull off. As I said earlier, she sang all three of the soprano parts in Rosen Cavalier. I saw her perform on the Metropolitan Opera Tour in Minneapolis, and this would have been in May 1983. The cast included Elisabeth Söderström, Kathleen Battle as Sophie, and Friederike von Stade as Octavian. All a little light-voiced for their parts, but I'm telling you, it was a great performance. Söderström's mastery as an actor really came to the fore. I'll never forget, I'll never forget the way that she did the trio. I'll never forget it. And she was an exquisite voice, and, and you get to hear her several years before that performance took place, here singing the Countess, the Gräfin from Capriccio. Yes. 
I hope you have enjoyed this marvelous, marvelous, I keep saying marvelous, but I don't know how else to describe it. Transcendent, exquisite, deeply felt, beautifully vocalized, profoundly realized performance of Elisabeth Söderström. Also covering an enormous wide range of vocal styles, showing very much what made her the extraordinary and unique, and I use the term advisedly, unique artist she was. We're very lucky to have had her in this world. She certainly made my life a more beautiful thing. Now, when I come back next week, I'm hoping that I will have in tow the recording of Jenny Tourell singing Rossini and Poulenc that I've ordered to be delivered to the New York apartment of my not-boyfriend. And I'll be picking it up there. I hope, I hope, I hope. If I do retrieve it, I will be presenting that rare recording to you. If not, we'll come up with something else. But for the month of February, I have some very exciting things. It's Black History Month, and I think I've already demonstrated that I have an enormous interest in African-American spirituals and African-American singers. So we shall be exploring both of those things in the month of February, all four weeks, and I can't wait to bring that to you starting in two weeks. In the meantime, I thank, as always, Alan Segal for his beautiful underscoring and Steve Robinson, what can I say, for his kind and patient guidance as I try and figure out what the Sam Hill I'm doing with this podcast. Until next time, my friends, keep the song in your hearts. I'm Daniel Gundlach. <laughs>